0: Hello, and welcome to Story Radio, the podcast for readers, writers, and lovers of short stories everywhere. Today, Mickey Lenton and Goran Baba Ali have come to talk to us at Story Radio. Mickey Lenton is the author of Inner Core, which is published by Goran's publishing house, Afsana Press. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Thank you.
2: Okay, Mickey, um, yeah, i really enjoyed your collection in a core and um yeah, I thought you touched on some interesting themes. I like the portrait of Ireland and Dublin in particular and the aspects of Judaism. Yeah, I wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about the genesis of the collection and um the themes you are exploring.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for the for the praise as well Martin. That's that's really great to hear. Um so, so, so the book itself is, is split into, into three sections, really, um, and what I was trying to do was provide, I suppose, a sort of overview of my life of the past sort of few years, in a way. Um, so thematically, there's a few different things going on. Um, I think um, I'm covering some issues of mental health and sort of middle-aged angst and uh, issues of masculinity that I have experienced um, over the past few years. Um, So they are sort of more memoir pieces written in in the first person. Um, Some of them I've written through um, an alter ego that I've developed who's an Irish man called Gerry. And Gerry lives with his wife called Mel. So some of the stories are positioned around their family life and their life. Some of them are more uh, positioned around my current life, living in London. Um, Some of the other pieces then in the second part sort of move towards... um, the theme of what I feel um, is a question around what it means to do good in society. And that's mostly around work that I've done with refugees. And that's why I decided to donate the proceeds of this book to a refugee charity called Foodkind. Um, but I, the question that I was really interested in there is, um, yeah, why are we doing these good things? Why are we volunteering to help people? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for me as a middle-aged man? How do I feel about it? Are we just doing it for our own benefit, or are we doing it for sort of more broader benefit, I suppose. And the third section is kind of things that I've been thinking about. So it's more memories of my childhood growing up in Dublin, in Ireland, um, and just sort of things that have sort of been bubbling, memories that have been bubbling up inside me, I suppose, over the past few years that I wanted to explore in a bit more detail. So thematically, it's a bit of a mix of things, but it covers kind of things that I've been thinking about over the past Mm. few years, really. Is it a Dublin that's disappeared now? Is it a very different place from
2: the uh, Dublin you write? About? I
1: still really like Dublin and I think there's an essence of Dublin that will always be there. It's like, um, it's like an onion to me in a way. Sort of You peel off layer after layer and you can, I consistently find things about Dublin that I like still. I travel there quite a lot to see family. But I, I really enjoy the fact that it had such a strong impact on my life. And still does um, the experiences that I had in growing up. You know, one of the stories, which is called Very Focals, is about my time working in a restaurant in Dublin when I left school, and that was a brilliant time of my life at the age of sixteen, seventeen. You know, working with older people, um, you know, experiencing going out late at night, lots of drinking, um, lots of relationships, lots of smoking, lots of you know, sort of sort of being a, sort of a quite a mature sort of young person at that time. Um, so I think there's elements that to me are still very much alive within me and that I want to sort of sort of capture still. And I think when you get to my age now, sort of in my late 40s, I think you begin to think more about things that happened to you when you were sort of in your late teens. And those are, very, those are experiences that I think can affect you greatly. And I think many writers come back to those things. I know Roddy Doyle does, for example, in, in some of his work, and he inspires me a lot. So I'm very interested in, in those ideas,
2: actually. Hmm. How did your ideas about sort of why... Why people do good and help develop through through the writing of the collection? Did you did you find yourself in a different position at
1: the end than you um, started? I think um, I think it's just a really interesting question. So we um, our family housed a, uh, an Iranian refugee a few years ago, and he lived with us for eighteen months. And then we housed an asylum seeker, and I was always very interested in the reaction that people had to this stranger who was in our house. So when we told people that he was living with us then it was interesting to see what people's body language, had that shifted. Um, it was interesting to see their facial expressions, I suppose. Um, and when we were out with Reza, his, na- his name, he's, um, you know, we introduced him to people, then people would react in different ways. And, and I was always, they were kind of, some people kind of asked, well, why are you doing this? And sometimes that was quite a difficult thing to answer. Why were we doing this? Was, it, was there an element of showing off there to a certain extent? I don't think so. But was there also an element of, you know, we want to do something good? Yes, I do think that. So I think it's possibly a bit a bit of both. And I think that that's a huge question in our modern society of how we deal with these questions, I think. Yeah. I think it's been
2: interesting how, how things have changed with um people's response to Ukrainian refugees, you know, where you know, if people seem so much more positively
1: inclined. I think that's been quite interesting. Well <laughs> I have my own opinions on that with some those opinions might not necessarily be popular, I know. I know Tabitha has a Ukrainian refugee living in her house, which is brilliant, but I, I do think there is a question of race there, massively. Mm. And I, I do believe that actually that it's great all the support that the Ukrainians are getting. I'm fully supportive of it. However, it would have been nice for as many people to have shown support to refugees from Afghanistan and Syria and lots of other places in the past as well. But, you know, we are where we are, I suppose. Yeah.
0: Your story, Miranges, is very good on. I guess skewering some of the sort of discomfort and mm. um, feelings of futility, perhaps, or, or or kind of how 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 it's handled at the social level, this kind of situation, and how people adjust, I guess, to the. I think yeah, that
1: is a, that is an interesting story. So the scene of that story is a is a, a, a sort of a Christmas party that I take. Uh, the refugees living with us too and, it was a, and I, that was a real life experience and it was very very awkward basically in my opinion and people trying to also to a certain extent show off to the refugees by you know, everybody buying kind of middle eastern food for them for example and all eating that together and listening to a certain kind of music and sometimes I kind of felt that it was very very try hard actually and actually Reza who was living with us he wanted to live a normal life like the rest of us. He wanted Western clothes. He wanted to eat Western food. He wanted to do Western things, I suppose. Um, he didn't want to be felt... He didn't want to be pitied or for people to feel like they had to, like, give him charity in a way. And so there was this awkward conflict, I think, between what we as Westerners feel that these people want and what they actually want from us, if anything at all. And they are all very grateful. It's just a, So I, I found that whole... Um, a situation that you find yourself in, kind of quite awkward actually and, and I was interested to explore that through that story, yeah.
0: That's one of our stories that we recorded
2: as well. Go right, on, do you want to talk a little bit about um, the collection at all? Oh, about no? Mickey's book. <coughs> uh, actually it's very interesting,
3: uh, because, so this was Afsana Press's second book, but um, there are some nearness, if you could say that, to, to my own <laughs> book, which was the first book, uh, like the theme of refugees. So it is... Uh, I found that very interesting, that uh, somehow it became like a theme for the two first books of, of sign and prayers. Uh, what I like about uh, Mickey's short stories is the, the use of language like in a very economical way, and it's like uh, uh, you know there are a lot of uh, details. He give he gives details of uh, movements or sometimes the feeling of a character, but it is not it's not descriptive. It is it, it's very economical and minimalistic actually yeah. in some way. And I love that. I love that in the stories, while they are loaded with really uh lots of questions you know like it's also called the inner core but honestly most of in most of the uh stories it's all about like an inner struggle most of the characters are man uh so usually it's like the, the, the inner struggle of a man in the world now and dealing with all the issues around us, and and, and, and and that makes it also very up-to-date, it's really they're all about now. It, it's simple, but it is very expressive, and, I don't know, so that's, yeah.
2: Yeah. The actual kind dealing with um, family life is kind of quite unusual in fiction, well, particularly from male fiction, and I thought that was, that was interesting. I yeah, they are very I'm honest. honest. Yeah. Exactly, very yeah. honest. Yeah, I think a lot of male fiction was quite dominated by that model of the Joseph O'Connor hero's journey and so on, which doesn't really have a place for family life. And I think um, women's fiction tended not to follow that model. And I think um, it's kind of interesting to see what develops when you don't when you step
1: away from that and yeah, think out things so. differently. I think so. Yeah, and also I, I'm also interested in exploring the mental health struggles that you know are quite well known amongst middle-aged men as well you know there's a a very very big high suicide rate amongst middle-aged men for example and I myself in one of my stories explore those difficulties that I have as well and I think I wanted to see what that felt like in writing and how I was able to communicate or perhaps not communicate that with my wife as well and what that and and what that was like and I do feel that's a you know I, I think I'm intrigued by the idea of kind of family life especially in middle age because I think for me that dynamic of living with somebody is different to the dynamic of having a partner when you're younger obviously you have children so there's different struggles in your life and um, you know there's financial struggles there might be there aren't in my relationship with my wife but there might be marital marital uh, problems and um, there are children as well involved so I think and, and, and I mentioned Roddy Doyle earlier on. and I think he's an interesting person to think about because, in his recent collection, um, which is called Life Without Children, if I'm not mistaken, um, he explores this a lot. And I was very, I'm really inspired by by him because he he writes about sort of the complexity of of family life, especially once kids start to grow up, and and actually how men in particular, because he writes really about middle aged men find themselves kind of on a precipice of not really knowing where they stand anymore um, after having you know been around younger children and having lots to do and then perhaps being in an office job or something along those lines and doing the same thing and all of a sudden they find themselves in a situation where the children may have left home and they may need to get a different kind of job and things have changed and they're automatically kind of left slightly stranded and I'm very interested by that And how does that relationship how do they deal then with their partner or their wife how do they deal with their children who might be grown up? How do they deal with their friends, for example, and the rest of their family? And what does that kind of vacancy feel like, that sort of emptiness feel like? So I am intrigued by kind of modern, middle-aged family. I think it's an interesting topic to explore.
0: Your story very is very good on the sort of, the, I guess, emptiness dynamic, mm. for a wonderful, uh, better way to put it. Mm. it a really brilliant sort of sketch of... Uh, you know, couples attempting to communicate while at the same time have they said everything they have to say?
1: Well, I think that's, that's, you know, that's the thing. Sometimes, like, in relationships, I suppose, it's OK to not say anything. Silence is a good thing, actually, sometimes.
0: Could you tell us a little bit more about Jerry and Mel? Because and, um, they feature in a few of the stories, don't they?
1: Yeah, so... Jerry and Mel are, as I I said, Jerry is I suppose my alter ego to a certain extent, so he goes through experiences that I have perhaps been on myself, um, and um, he's struggling with certain things in his life, struggling with home life dynamic I suppose to a certain extent, struggling with um, his relationship with his children who may have grown up um, struggling with his work. Um, and he's a bit of a lonely character as well. Um, and I think Jerry and Mel are both kind of quite independent people as well who like to kind of do their own things. And maybe that independence has kind of stretched the, the gap between them to a certain extent. And I'm. I'm really. I'm. I'm. And as a, as I say, this is not what my <laughs> my marriage is like at all. But in very vocals, for example, in the stories, I'm always really interested in this idea of like, what do couples say to each other when they go out for dinner, for example? And you know that whole premise came from um, me and my family being on holiday in Greece and literally looking at this couple for hours, just not saying anything to each other. And you would just think to yourself, my God, there's something in that, you know. How long have they lived together? Has just conversation completely dried out? And then what do they say to each other after they finish their meal? What what happens when they go home? Does that silence still exist? Do they both do their own things? And, And I'm interested in silence, I suppose. I'm interested in the dynamic of silence, the awkwardness of silence. The fact that in today's society it's quite difficult to be silent or to find that space to be silent. And what do people think about when things are... I mean, I don't always like silence, actually. I always like to have things on in the background. But some people are very comfortable with it. And I think if you're an anxious person, like I am sometimes, I don't like that sense of silence because I begin to worry. And I think Jerry is definitely someone who doesn't like silence. He doesn't quite know what to do with himself.
0: He, He struggles... It is. It is embarofocals, isn't it? He, he struggles to. Um, he wants to say something to Mel so badly, and in the end, he jumps up on the yeah. chair and tells the whole restaurant. <laughs> and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I thought oh. that was a uh, lovely about the sort of frustration of really wanting to say something. But yeah,
1: because he doesn't. He doesn't know if she'll believe him or if she really wants to listen. But actually, she desperately does. And at the end, she's kind of like, you know, I'm here for you. But she hasn't really said that before, and not to blame her at all. But you know. I think he desperately wants to tell her and he wants to recount the memories, but he's, but because time has moved on and that gap, as I said, that's, that has really stretched between them, he's not quite sure how to do it anymore. And that, made that sort of frivolity and sort of, you know, um, I suppose, um, sense of ease that you have at the beginning of a relationship with someone perhaps has dissipated slightly and he doesn't quite know what to do. So, I, yeah, I'm interested in those silences, actually.
2: Yeah, we were talking about sort of how how that kind of family love doesn't really appear in a, a lot of male fiction. Oh, they, that's yeah. right.
1: Yeah, well, not male fiction that I've read. I have to mm. say, maybe it, maybe it does in some male fiction. But as I said, as I said before, I am I'm very intrigued by the writing of Roddy Doyle and his short stories, especially his two collections, Bullfighting and Life without children, where he he really does explore, I think, in an absolutely superb way. And you talked about a uh, language earlier on Quran, and uh, and um, he does it brilliantly. Where he really his sense of language is kind of really pared down. It's really economical. So, so in a way, it's uses he uses very very simplistic language. He doesn't. There's nothing flowery about his writing. There's nothing kind of ornamental about it. It's it's, very, it's a simple type of language that we would all use all the time. And sometimes you read and you go, it just seems too simple. But actually, it's so simple, it's kind of obvious and lovely to read. And therefore, it's very readable. And I think, therefore, you can really get into his characters, this kind of simple man, simple male character, usually a male character, who, who just has impulses that are quite complicated, and I think come from a disrupted family life perhaps or, a, or, doesn't, or doesn't quite know where they stand. There's a great story in Bullfighting which I can't remember the name of now where where the, the, the man starts to, he gets a real urge to eat raw meat and he just starts to eat this raw meat and he starts to kill the chickens next door and then his wife eventually joins in with him and it's, it's, a, it's a lovely and quite horrific depiction of like I just want to do something mad and crazy and I've got a lust for blood in not in like in, a, in a sort of horror kind of way, but I've got a lust to do something where I can dig my teeth into that's really visceral, and it's and it's and it is very visceral and it's quite emotional actually. But you sometimes I think we all have these kind of urges and we don't quite know what to do with them. And I think Roddy Doyle explores these urges really uniquely. And I think and I do think that comes from a sense of family life sometimes being complicated and. Um, being quite silent sometimes so yeah the, in the efflorescence your story
3: is almost you know the, the urge to scratch yeah, the yeah and I kind of got the idea you
1: know <laughs> I mean that efflorescence is based on uh, on a walk meeting a friend on a walk and then what happens and explores kind of these two characters who don't quite know what to do with each other and then Jerry kind of wants to be a bit like Ross who is the man who's just gone through a divorce not that Jerry wants to divorce his wife necessarily but Ross seems to have a certain freedom to him which Jerry kind of yearns for and you know he's smoking for example so Jerry has a cigarette and he's desperate for a cigarette even though he doesn't really smoke. You know just the little things like that but then when he's kind of asked do you want to key some cars? At first he's like "What? Why why would I do that? But then the more he thinks about it the more it kind of appeals to him and he doesn't, so he's got this urge, he doesn't quite know what to do with it and then when he does it he kind of he feels this tremendous lightness, this tremendous kind of sense of, I've done something naughty, but it really feels really good, and it's okay, and nothing bad is going to happen, and actually that little bit of lightness is is quite relieving, perhaps. So yeah, it's I'm interested in that idea actually. Yeah, I remember you
2: when you first have a child, you suddenly realise that your time is all accounted for that you've never got you know bef- until that point you could just wander off and do things and no one really cares and you know you can go and you know not be around and no one knows where you are and then suddenly you're kind of accountable and everyone you know people have to know where you are all the time it's like a big change that you're not really prepared for yeah I agree with you
1: <laughs> it does it does come to an end eventually you know. <laughs> well in one of the stories um um, which is called the rock I kind of you know it's kind of I'm exploring this idea of like sort of wanting to take something from somewhere and what that means and actually trying to understand what that rock meant for my child um, and, and as a parent sometimes struggling to make that connection um, that actually these things actually are very meaningful to children and then eventually realised that actually it's really meaningful to me as well. But it took, it took me a while to actually get, get to that position. Because our children, in a way, are, are mirror images of that, but we don't always want to believe that, do we? Um, and I was interested in, in, in that idea of you know, the similarities between us as characters. And I, I know that my, my daughter is very similar to me in many ways. So I'm going to read the first paragraph of the first story, which is called Inner Core. I never admitted it to my wife, M, but I really wanted the boy with a toothy grin to pull the trigger and shoot the French woman who was standing a few steps from us. I had nothing against her. I didn't want her to die. But at that moment, I wanted everything to pause, so I could hear the crack of a gun blast, smell the gunpowder, and see if I could follow the bullet spinning through the air. I even considered what it would be like to lick the spattered blood from my face Wipe M's jacket down And go for dinner on the Asian side of Istanbul Just as we'd planned There you go Great, thank you
0: Thank you so much, Miki and Goran It was lovely to speak to you both And um, just for our listeners Goran will come back in next month To talk about his novel Garth's Wall
1: Thank you for having us It's been really good